Welcome to Footy Time. We are back after a week off. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, I've almost gotten over my whatever I had. I think I'll call it a cold. But uh, yeah, it's, it's good to be back to talk a bit about the footy. So, how are we all? It's round 15 done. It's starting to look a little bit more real now, isn't it? Uh, it I mean, we're only at the end of June, but yeah, the pointy end is going to come up a lot quicker than we think. It was a great round for footy. Uh, some incredible results. Some very good games. And we're going to get into some of these right now. Is Melbourne back? Are they the number one flag contender again? Or do we need to see a little bit more? Well, this was a fantastic performance on Thursday night by the D's. Uh, a lot of people were talking about the loading and, you know, were there heavy loads and was this a part of a reason for the slump in, you know, with these training methods? Uh, but, geez, you wouldn't have known it on Thursday night. They really had their zip back. There was high pressure. They were running in numbers. Some of that unrewarded running that Dan spoke about a few weeks ago, that was back. And, yeah, it was great to see. Uh, but what changed with Melbourne? And why didn't the loading, you know, the training, increased training loads, why didn't that affect this? I noticed, obviously, that people had been talking about the loading principle in recent weeks as if it was the reason why literally every single skill being executed in a footy game was being executed poorly. Um, I don't deny that loading exists, and I believe it does, but people were literally using it for the reason that... Max Gorn missed that shot late against Sydney in the fourth quarter, or when Petrarca fumbled in the goal square. You know, it was kind of becoming a bit of a sideshow. And, like, I don't dispute any of these claims that it could have been loading. But it, it, on some of the message boards that I was on, especially Demonland, I was just finding a lot of people were just coming in. As soon as someone was questioning why something happened in the game, they were just pointing to loading every two seconds. And... It was just, I don't know if it was coming across right, but it just really, to me, it just seemed like if this is the effect of loading, then why are we even bothering to play these games in the middle of the season? If we can't kick over a jam tin, then honestly, why don't we just send a reserve side out? Why are we even getting out of bed in the morning? <laughs> why are we as fans turning up if they can't kick a simple drop punt through the goal from 15 metres out? That was my uh, my gripe with it. But they showed on Thursday with the loading or no loading, they can overcome any sort of fatigue, I guess, that was happening uh, as a result of loading middle in the middle of the season. Uh, they completely bossed the lines in the contested and uncontested possessions. Stephen May was back, and although he wasn't great on the night, having him in the structure definitely helps. Jake Lever probably had his best game for the year, I thought, as a result of May being back. And let's not forget Michael Hibbert, who, for the most part, had the job on Charlie Cameron. I don't remember Cameron once getting in behind the pack. And, yeah, Hibbert just kept him in front of him all game. I think he might have let him even have one mark out in front, just as long as he was not letting Charlie Cameron get out the back, because that's where he's most dangerous with that speed. I think it's a, it was a veteran performance from Michael Hibbert, and yeah, he deserved a big pat on the back for that. He's not done yet. He's absolutely not done yet. His experience is going to matter come finals time. 
this was a team effort. Uh, everyone raised their game 5% and were doing those little things that make the difference. Jack Viney played a true midfielder's game. He'd be diving for the footy and be back on his feet with it in an instant. I mean, he could have kept his balance in a pinball machine the way he was playing. Uh, it's this kind of stuff that was allowing Melbourne to keep the ball in their 50 and generate scoring chance after scoring chance. Uh, you know, you had the, the Neil Bullens, the Spargos, the Picketts, uh, the Toby Bedfords who'd come in. They, they were all just applying relentless pressure, all of them. And that was what allowed them to keep getting these chances. Even if they weren't all great, they were still getting chances and keeping the score uh, ticking over. They did miss a lot of shots, mind you, but uh, eventually the goals came along. In recent weeks, there was very few and far between a scoring shot for Melbourne. And I think this is when we look our best, is when they are just... You've got the manic pressure in the forward line, they're locking it in, but they are just constantly just getting looks at goal. And, yeah, they managed to dob a few of them and, and get the, the head of steam up. Uh, you know, history shows that the, the the Premier at the end of the season usually has a back line that's, I guess, in the top four of the competition. And despite Melbourne's losses recently, they still kept the opposition to low scores. That wasn't usually the issue. Yeah, maybe a couple more marks inside 50 they conceded, but they were never really... Um, yeah, the, the, the scores that they were conceding were never really all that high. I think Collingwood was in the high 80s, uh, Sydney about that as well, possibly, and uh, yeah, Frio about that. No one broke 100, though. So, yeah, I think this backline, healthy, will give you as good a shot at winning it all as anyone. So, yeah, that's definitely something to be encouraged by as a Melbourne fan. But as great as Melbourne were... They aren't 64 points better than the Brisbane Lions. There's no there's no maybe about it. This is a forget game for the Lions, and I am absolutely sure that things will be completely different when they play again in round 23, or even in the finals. Um, even though the Ds were great, there was a slight bit of fortune, I thought, in this game for them, in the first and second quarters especially, um, because Brisbane had a few good chances in front of goal, and they really fluffed them. Uh, Danaher, I think. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, Rainer, I think, might have missed one earlier. There were a couple of really good shots in in very good positions, and the Lions just fluffed them. So had they kicked a few of those, had they start? I think they might have even started out with one goal three. Had they kicked three to start with, it could have been a bit. It could have been interesting. Uh, you know, a good start always allows you a good chance to win the game of footy. Really. So, this is a bit of the knock on the lines, I think. It is their inaccuracy. So, they do get plenty of scoring chances. They are a very good side offensively, but they do miss set shot, like pretty routine set shots from time to time. And that's definitely something that's, you know, it's going to need to be addressed, I think, from now until the end of the season, because that's what it's going to come down to, I think, at the end of the day. Uh, H.B. Myers from Uncle Punt said that uh, well, he thought maybe the second quarter was Melbourne's best since the grand final in 2021. I mean, the yardstick is, is pretty high, but I reckon he could be right. He could be right. But look, the question is, are Melbourne back? I know a lot of people that would think that. I know a lot of people that were very giddy by that performance. And it was a great performance. But uh, 
The question is, are they back? Well, with a performance like that, it's hard to say they aren't. I know a lot of Melbourne fans up and about, as I said, after this one, but i got to call the Jets ever so slightly on this. The fact is that Melbourne have one win in the last month of footy. And you can look at that a few different ways, and it is a big plus that they've now ended that losing streak, 100%. You don't want that kind of thing hanging over your head. No one wants it. But their draw remains very difficult. I'm wanting to see them back it up in Adelaide this week uh, because it's going to be a trap game against the Crows, whether people want to admit it or not. And Melbourne will need to bring the exact same pressure and intensity in that game. I mean, we all remember very well that one-point thriller at Adelaide over last year. There's no, like, Adelaide, can they can pull out a performance. There's no problems there. But I need to see just a, a little bit more. I need to see at least one solid performance against Adelaide before saying that the Ds are back. Because this, it, the games are going to come thick and fast after that. They were going to ha- go down to Geelong on the Thursday after that, which is a huge match. And Geelong are really hitting some good form at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is still a difficult draw. And, you know, they've got Frio at Optus in round 20. I, I honestly think if, if, if top two is an aspiration for Melbourne, I think that Melbourne needs at least one scalp out of those two games. I think they've definitely got to at least beat Geelong and, or, or they've got to beat Frio, one of them, at very least. And you could even throw the round 22 clash against Carlton in there. They would probably need a, at least two out of those three. if they want. That's if they want a shot at top two. I mean, if you're a Melbourne fan and you just kind of want to get top four, well, maybe there's a bit more leniency there. <laughs> but um, I'm talking top two. There's not really much margin for error. We've kind of used a few get-out-of-jail-free cards in the last few weeks in one go. Whether you whether you like to admit it or not, so if top two is on the agenda, if you're a Melbourne fan and you want to see uh, the D's play at the MCG in the last day in September because he didn't get to last year, and you feel that top two is the way to go about that, then the um the requirements are quite high, regardless of going ten and zero to start the season. They're high, they're very high, very high demands. So yeah, look, lots of twists and turns to go, uh, but yeah. I think that they're going to have to take some scalps. And I know they just took a scalp, and it's really hard to say that they need to take another one. But they are going to. They're definitely going to have to take more scalps. So, yeah, we'll see how they go. Lots of twists and turns. All right, it's time to get to our first contentious issue of the week. Uh, There's always going to be one. And this one's been highly talked about for obvious reasons. Uh, in the early stages of the Richmond versus Geelong game, cracking game, probably one of the games of the season. If you haven't seen it, definitely try and at least catch some of the highlights because that was just fantastic footy. Uh, but in the early stages of that game, Tom Stewart it poorly executed a bump on Dion Prestia that caused Prestia to be subbed out of the match. It was a very, very ugly incident. Uh, Prestia's feet really hadn't hit weren't even on the ground. So we don't want to see this kind of thing. It's it's an ugly, ugly incident. Uh, and it's been well documented that Stuart was clearly rattled after that bump and he regretted it deeply. Um, uh, Stuart has since apologised to Dion Prestia, which is, which is great. And he's going to cop his right whack, no doubt about that. Uh, I think that you'd have to say that it's going to be in the region of three to four weeks, possibly more. Uh, but we don't want to see that 
in our game anymore at all. And we've got to make a stand for the head, I think. We've got to make sure that we're doing absolutely everything we can to protect the head because someone like Dion Prestia is just completely... Uh, it's it's totally out of his control. And he needs to be able to trust that the game is going to be there to protect him. Uh, yeah, there's no, no questions asked about that. Um, but that's what happened. Prestia was subbed out of the game. And... Tom Stewart was able to sort of refocus and put that aside for a second and put in arguably a best-on-ground performance, including that match-saving mark late in the game. It doesn't take a genius to know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. So it's send-offs, red cards, red flags, sin bins, whatever you want to call it. This argument comes up once every couple of years when a big incident like this happens. And it's back again. So, yeah, where do you stand on this topic? Because there's definitely two sides. And, yeah, let's look at the case four, okay? The case for uh, the umpires being able to send off a player and they are unable to return after an incident such as this where they've put another player out of the game and they need to be punished right there on the spot. The suspension's not going to do it. Uh, they need to be sent off and... Yeah, to level the ledger a bit. So, Kane Corns on yesterday's footy show was adamant that Stewart should have been sent off for that hit. Uh, he cited this moment as the difference in the game, as Richmond had lost one, probably their most important player, and Stewart went on to play a marvellous game. You know, there was three points the difference, maybe that was it. Um... But yeah, he was calling for something like this to come in. Uh, you know, it may only happen once a year, but for this hit or, you know, one such as the Andrew Gaff hit on Andrew Brayshaw a few years ago, yeah, you know, is it, maybe it's warranted. There's some great points there from Kane, and I appreciate that he wants to uh, get moving on, on these kinds of actions and really stamp them out of the game with this kind of... But... There's something about that line that really irritates me. The, it'll only be for extreme incidents. There's something about that. When, when commentators and, and media pundits and that start using that kind of language, it really, it just really irritates me. That kind of language. It, it'll only be for extreme circumstances. Or, you know, we'll take the bounce away after goals and only bring it in for the start of each quarter. Or, uh, you know, we're going to be extremely hard on the on dissent and there's zero tolerance. Uh, I just find that when you say these kinds of lines, in <laughs> whether it's the media or whether it's the AFL, I just find when you use this kind of language, you really open yourself up for failure and you really open yourself up for ridicule. So the fact of the matter is that if we're going to bring in a red card or a red flag or whatever, if we're going to start sending players off for the rest of the game for over incidents like this, we now open the door to another another responsibility from the umpire and another another action that they can take. That means another chance for mistakes. We've just spoken in the last few weeks about how hard this game is to umpire and how we need to make it easier for them. What is bringing in another 
thing that they need to be mindful of and another action that they can take, what, another decision they have to make. What is that going to do to make the game easier for umpires? I've heard this argument so many times that, oh, it'll only be for the extreme incidents. If it only happens once or twice every two years, or every, whatever, two years, one year. I've heard this so many times. The fact of the matter is it doesn't work like that. You bring in this, you open this can of worms, there is the potential for someone to overdo it. There is the potential for an umpire to see an incident and maybe completely get it wrong. It, it could be anything. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but, you know, uh, let's just say it's, I don't, I don't know, something like this one with Stuart and Prestia where maybe he didn't actually connect to his head, but it looked in real time like he did. And then we see the video replays and he's already been sent off. So... I just think it opens up that kind of conversation where we exactly like in soccer, where we start now looking at it, at it and going, oh, geez, that that shouldn't have been a red card. He shouldn't have been sent off. And we're just now having that kind of conversation. So I'm against it. Uh, I think that I understand that Richmond were really slighted in this game. I totally get that. And they lost their, probably their most important player. Uh, they were down a man, I guess, for the rest of the game. Well, they weren't down a man. They got to use the emergency sub. But uh, in, in the end, it may have been the difference. They lost by three points. It was a big-time game for them in the course of their season. Maybe they'll miss finals because of it. Maybe they won't. But you've got to start... You, you've got to separate it from that as well because not every game turns out like that. You know, what if Geelong were, were thrashing them? What if Geelong were being thrashed? I mean, it, it's got to not be so dependent on the result of the game all the time. Now, you could make this argument that if this would have happened in a grand final, well, I, first of all, I've already seen this happen in a grand final. <laughs> so I, I already saw Michael Long completely plow through Troy Simmons in the 2000 grand final and nothing happened. We were obviously losing by a long way at that point, but we've already seen this. We've already seen this kind of stuff before. Um, We've already seen Dermot Brereton put out by uh, Mark Yates in the 89 grand final. You know, we've already seen these things, uh, you know, whether they're fair or not, like you know, like this stuff happens. Like players also go down injured on their own accord, or just from sheer bad luck. So I don't know. I I know that this is something we want to take out of the game, but I just I think it's too difficult. I just think it's way too difficult to adjudicate. We're hardly getting the match review officer stuff right at the moment as it is. Why add another thing into this? Why add another potential to make? And I, I'm not. I'm not disrespecting the umpires by saying that they're going to make mistakes here, but one umpire is going to see a situation different to another, and it just adds another layer that probably doesn't need to be there right now. Look, Tom Stewart's going to get his fair whack. He's going to get at least four weeks. It does suck for Richmond, but look, it's, this competition is fundamentally flawed as it is, really. like, What other sport in the world plays everyone once and then a couple of other teams twice? I mean, we're looking for to make this, you know, equalization thing. It's a little bit of a myth sometimes. So, yeah, I, I don't think that we're going to get it from bringing in send-offs in, in footy. Like, yeah, I mean, I just don't think so. I don't expect this to be on the agenda. I don't think there'll be any plans to bring anything like this in. I'm sure that Gillen will be asked about send-offs during the week. But, yeah, I don't expect anything to happen from this. Uh, but I do hope that uh, Dion Prestige is okay, obviously, and yeah, especially in the long term. But we definitely need to come down hard on these incidents 
in terms of a suspension. There's no doubt about that. Saints on skids. The Saints were presented with the first of one of their big tests in their difficult run home and failed abysmally. After a great start to the season, the Saints now seem to be stuck. Uh, This 51-point defeat honestly felt like a lot more. So what went wrong for the Saints on Saturday night? Because they would have known the importance of this game, especially after that shock loss to Essendon the week before. They were meant to come back with a bang and respond. And obviously, it was going to be against quality opposition. But there is a place in the finals at stake here. And they've got some big matches coming up. They would have understood what was ahead of them, wouldn't they? <laughs> I don't know what is going through the minds of these St Kilda players at the moment, mentally. But I'm guessing that it's not the greatest of self-talk at the moment. And one of the reasons I say that is because of the way that they have, I guess, reacted after some of these big calls have been made at selection. Last week, Jack Higgins was dropped in a big statement of authority that a lack of effort, even from one of their better players this year, was not going to be tolerated. Well, for whatever reason, it has not had the effect they wanted because when you look at some of their other forwards on Saturday night, Zach Jones, Max King, Dan Butler, Tim Membry, uh, they all combined for zero tackles. So this forward line that has been quite good with pressure and creating some chances, they didn't get that pressure at all. Uh, from what I was watching on TV, there were a lot of guys that were just content to be jogging around and cruising at sort of three-quarter pace. So, especially Membry, which is surprising because he's a, a very hard-working forward, I reckon. He, he sort of leads up and down, but he just looked to be jogging around a bit. What is it going to take to get you to run hard, apply pressure, get tackles? That's the question, and this is the hardest part. I mean, you can address a lack of skill, I guess, or you can just go out there and get the right players, uh, but how do you address a lack of confidence and a lack of mental, I guess, mental fortitude? Because it just seems like that's what's happened with St. Kilda at the moment. There's been a dip, and yeah, it's hard. It was hard to watch, very, very hard to watch. Uh, but yeah, where do you start with this? Well, let's look at the coaching. I do like Brett Ratton a lot, but he was outcoached on Saturday night. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, look, it's no shame being outcoached by John Longmire. He does it a lot. <laughs> but when things aren't going your way, and your main idea is to move Tim Membry behind the ball, uh, yeah, this doesn't fill you with confidence, does it? I mean, most teams' fans have what I call a coaching move groaner, (laughs) where when that move is made, the fans just groan. And, you know, you know that things aren't going well when that move is made. And I think, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but I feel like this is the one for St Kilda fans. Moving Tim Membry back behind the ball, yeah, I just don't think it fills them with confidence. Yeah. Things have been worked out a bit when you're playing St Kilda, to an extent. Uh, I've loved Jack Sinclair's contribution to the Saints this year. I think he's fantastic to watch. That run and dash, and he set up a lot of their goals this year from that halfback flank. But on Saturday night, 
Ryan Clark was given the task of going with Sinclair. And Sinclair still had about 17 touches, I think. He wasn't bad. But Clark was able to really sort of block off the space for Sinclair to run into. So he, he cut that running lane out. And he also ended up getting a couple of goals for himself, Clark. So that's a good job. That's a very good job. And, uh, you know, he's made him accountable. And the Saints need to know what they're going to do when that happens. Because that's going to happen again. Teams have identified that they play through Jack Sinclair a lot. Uh, especially up the middle. But what are they going to do the next time someone sends one of, a good tagger to him and really tends to him? You know, will they will they change their tactic? Will they move it around to the other side? Because they were moving it down one side of the ground a lot on Saturday night. Are they going to try and switch? Will they do you know, something a bit different? Will they try and block for Sinclair a bit more, make more space for him, really sort of shepherd the, the tagger a bit? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not the coach. So, yeah, it's really a challenge because it's going to happen. That's that's a given. And, yeah, you've got to find out other ways. This is how teams become good teams. They evolve. If something's been working for them for a while and then it gets, I guess, nullified, uh, you've got to evolve and, and find ways through it. That's really all there is to it. One more thing. One more thing. I've bashed St Kilda a little bit. And I, look, I was very disappointed watching this game. I felt like a fan of the Saints. But there is one more thing. Oh, I just don't see Rowan Marshall taking the sole number one ruck job at St Kilda with two hands anytime soon. Uh, it's just, they're still so reliant on Paddy Ryder, I reckon. And he didn't have a bad duel with Tom Hickey. But, and look, Tom Hickey isn't the best ruck in the comp, but he's a big boy ruckman. And he'll handle any sort of pretenders uh, who don't want to bring the body-on-body stuff, he'll handle them with ease. He'll just chew them up and spit them out. Marshall wasn't too bad, but I think at one point they tried Cooper Sharman up there, and it just yeah, he doesn't... He, he, he's just one of those guys. He, he will just take the part-time rucks and just do what he wants with them. Uh, like I said, he's not the best ruck in the comp, but he'll give you absolutely everything. If you can't match him physically, yeah, you're done. So I just don't quite see it yet from Marshall. I hope I'm wrong, and I, I, if any St Kilda fans out there disagree or have a, a different take on it, I'd love to hear from you, footytime22 at gmail.com. But I just I don't quite see it yet from him. I'm not sure. Maybe he does just need to be thrown in. I don't know. But, yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not too sure. They get another chance this Friday night. It's another one of their big tests coming up, and it's Carlton at Marvel Stadium. Uh, yeah, look, the Saints just really need to match the physicality. Do look, Just do things. They might even have to do some things out of their normal job description. So I think when I'm saying something like that, I noticed that uh, Max King uh, just seemed to be a one-effort player on Saturday night. I felt like he, he would go for the mark and not really offer much else. Uh, if the ball hit the deck, he wasn't sort of fighting for it on the floor. No real second efforts, no real pressure. I just, I don't know. I, I was just a bit disappointed with Max King's game on Saturday night, which is a shame because he's been fantastic all season. But I think this is what it's going to take. You're going to have to step outside your square a little bit. They're going to have to get physical. They're going to have to, you know, just do some things that might be a bit uncomfortable. But they're going to have to change things up a bit too and be less predictable. So, some people are calling St Kilda done. I think that's a bit harsh, but if they 
they have got a very good chance here against Carlton. Can they come out? I wish this game was about a month ago because I was really looking forward to it, but I'm still looking forward to it. I think that it could be exciting, but I really, really want to see St Kilda match Carlton physically uh, and just have that sort of mental capacity to just keep going at it. Because the difference between St Kilda and Carlton, those two sides, is that Carlton are pretty much the antithesis of that. They, right now, they are going hell for leather in the pressure stakes and, you know, hard, just going hard, get, really going for 50-50 contests and coming up with them. The problem with Carlton is that they're just, as a young list, they're unable to sustain it for four quarters often. They'll, they'll just keep running, though, until they drop. So if you could find a bit more of that with St Kilda, I see every chance that they could win this game. But it's all about whether they can bring that and make sure they make the right moves to keep them in that contest. It's time, Collingwood fans. Your team has won five in a row, and we're going to give them a pop. A very gritty win over the Giants in the wet yesterday. I think they were extremely impressive. Uh, that The Giants were coming hard at the end. I mean, they really probably shouldn't have been in the game, but uh, they were fighting back, and the Pies looked very resilient in those conditions. Uh, it was a, Yeah, it was, a, it was a very interesting game. I caught the second half of this on TV when I, while I was in Albert Park, and I could literally see the rain coming in from around the Westgate Bridge, and then minutes later, bang, it was at the G on TV. So, yeah, that was it was coming in hard as well. So they really, uh, they were very, very good. I thought Collingwood to to hang on and and win that one. Um, you know, they managed to forget about the off-field issues uh, that have been happening with the goey. Uh, the pies are steaming on through at the moment. Very impressive. They got enough out of their their forwards, like J- Jamie Elliott I thought was very good. Uh, Ginnivan, they managed to control the stoppage ascendancy a lot, which they're doing a fair bit lately. Uh, and they've managed to cement their place in the eight, setting up a massive game at Metricon Stadium next week against the Gold Coast Suns. I can't wait for that one. I think it'll play a massive part in shaping the eight. The other thing I wanted to bring up about the Pies, do they have one of the best back sixes in the competition? I mean, we talk about Frio, we talk about Melbourne, but I reckon this one's as good as anyone going around. I mean, you got Brendan Maynard, Darcy Moore, Murphy, who I think's a bit underrated, actually. Uh, you got uh, Isaac Quainer, who I'm a big fan of. I think he's really, really good. Jeremy Howe and, and Dacos. I think uh, these guys are very well set up behind the ball. And Collingwood is actually the number one intercept team in the comp right now. And fourth for conceding scores per entry. I reckon that there's a nice mix of experience and youth there. And they're actually, there's a lot of bounce about that back line. It's, it's not easy to score against, but they can also go back the other way. Uh, that, that can take you places. I think, um, I mean, look at the, I mean, when you think about it, who would have thought, that when Brody Grundy went down, that they would have gone on a five-game winning streak this season. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So they they really embraced what Craig McRae's bringing to the table, and it's definitely bearing fruit a lot earlier than they thought it might have. So what can Collingwood do in 2022? How far can they go? Well, we mentioned that their backline looks a, really looks the goods at the moment. 
but they also rebound hard out of the back as well, and they use the corridor a lot. So it's not like one of those safe back lines. They actually set up a lot of scores from defence. That can actually take you a fair way. Uh, it really can. I still don't quite think that they would be good enough to be considered a top, you know, a top four side or a top four killer quite yet. But they're definitely going to throw some spanners in the works. No doubt about that. Uh, but I also think that Nathan Buckley needs a lot of credit for this because of his focus on the defence. I reckon that's starting to show and shine through a lot here with the young group. Uh, you can look at a lot of teams that have done that in the past. Obviously, Frio, Melbourne under Paul Ruse. That that doesn't always get instant uh, glamour or uh, credit. But, yeah, I think to say that this season's Collingwood is an indictment on Nathan Buckley is really unfair. I think that McRae's brought in a really nice philosophy that they bought into, but the foundations here, especially from the back line, I mean, that goes back to Buckley. So... Yeah, I think that uh, they can definitely make the eight. I think they they really should make the eight, to be honest. But they can also make some noise. And you never know how far you can go once you get that first win in an elimination final. I mean, you know, in 2018, they, I think they lost. They were top four, but they lost that first week. Uh, but they went on to win two in a row and go to the grand final. And, you know, they were one kick away from winning it. So, yeah, you never say never with these kinds of things. That Gold Coast game is going to be fascinating. That's all we've got time for on Footy Time today. Uh, the news has actually just come through that Magic Door has officially announced his retirement. Uh, we know that he was battling that pectoral injury. And, yeah, he had a few other things happening. So, a little bit sad that he didn't get a chance to play a game in the red and blue. But uh, all the best for his future going forward. I'm sure there's some exciting things in store for Magic. And, yeah, 54 games for the North Melbourne Footy Club. Uh, he was on the Melbourne list for the last two seasons. And he's, I guess, a sparring partner for Maxi Gorn, uh, helping him out of training a lot. So it's, it's these little stories that you don't really hear about in the, the Premiership uh, success stories. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely a part of it. But, yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, round 16 coming up. There'll be some great games Really looking forward to it, and hopefully your team wins. In the meantime, bye for now.